being able to conquer the world on your own is awesome. And we have to give our children that ability. You know, yeah, being the safety net all the time is just not going to pay off. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. When it comes to life's challenges, there are two types of people, those experiencing the change and the professionals advising them. Life Transitions by Dr. Amy walks beside both, helping financial professionals and individuals navigate more gracefully through any life change. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Today, we are going to talk about how setting limits in your financial life can boost your financial confidence. It's one of the challenges that I find many women face is saying no to their adult children when they ask for money. Yes, I know you love your kids, but when does loving them mean setting a limit around your bank account? So today, to help me answer this question, I have Carrie Rattle. She is a financial therapist and coach founder and CEO of Behavioral Sense and CEO of Stopping Over Shopping. Carrie has over 30 years experience as a financial executive with multi-country experience in banking, brokerage, and credit card practices. Welcome, Carrie, to the podcast today. Oh, Kathleen, thank you so much. And I so love what you do. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to break money silence with you on this really interesting topic. Um, So let me just set the stage a bit, because often when I am giving a presentation to a group of parents, uh, you know, breaking money silence across generations, encouraging encouraging intergenerational talk, the question always comes up that someone in the audience has a young adult child who they want to set a limit with. They want this person to be financially independent. They clearly love their kid, but they're finding it so hard to say no. And so this struggle, I think, is really somewhat universal. And so I do empathize with them, uh, but I want to really talk today with you because it's an area that you work in about how you can talk about finances with your kids and start to set those financial limits. So... Tell me, just off the top of your head with this issue, kind of what's the highlight? What makes it so challenging? And then what are some of the reasons people should actually say no to their kids? Oh, my gosh. So I also empathize. This is not easy, right? Especially when you have beautiful big eyes looking at you, you know, pleading. It's It makes your heart melt. But, you know, when, when you give your child everything, here's what you're telling your child, right? You're telling them that money is limitless. You're telling them that spending has no consequences and you're telling them or you're, you're not helping them connect the dots between what they spend, how that accumulates into debt and where the money has to come from to pay it off. And our job as parents is to prepare our children for surviving and flourishing in the world, especially when we're not around. And so teaching kids things like that doesn't doesn't help 
So the idea is to, you know, switch that around and, and say, okay, what does saying no help them do? It helps them learn how to plan ahead so that they don't get into predicaments. It helps them learn how to make choices and set priorities so that they understand they can't have everything and they, they need to understand how that money is accumulating in terms of debt and how they have to figure out how to pay it off. In some ways, it's actually a gift to say no. Uh, it's something just popped into my head. I actually, uh, in my 20s, used to give my father a hard time. I had been in therapy around some, <laughs> um, some uh, you know, body image, self-esteem issues. And I came home one day and I said to my father, you don't say no enough. And he's like, what? And uh, it wasn't around money. But it was around other stuff. But I was like, you should have set more limits with me. He's like, I knew I blew it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know if every kid comes home and says to their parent eventually, you should have said no more. Um, but there is some real value in teaching people that there's limits, that there's struggle, that, and I find yes. that there's some self-esteem that comes from having to figure it out, even though you might have a kid who pitches a fit at the beginning. Oh, absolutely, right? Being, being able to conquer the world on your own is awesome. And we have to give our children that ability. You know, yeah, being the safety net all the time is just not going to pay off. Well, and I feel like society puts a lot of pressure on mothers in particular. You know, my story was certainly about my dad because my mother was actually pretty good at saying no. But with women, there's this, there's almost this overcorrection on how we not only have to be their parents, we have to be their friends, we have to be selfless, and we have to give to others. And that's just a recipe to be overwhelmed and not feel good. But I'm wondering, what do you think happens when we are in that mode of trying to be the best mother we can be, and we want to give our kids everything, and we're not setting limits for ourselves, let alone our kids. Mm -hmm. Does that complicate things around money or, or is that kind of a separate issue? I think it totally complicates things. And I'm going to tell you a short story about my mother and then segue that to finances. It wasn't about finances, but my mother was incredibly selfless. She raised four kids. Uh, she worked and she was so stressed out all the time because she denied herself everything to give to her children, to give to her husband, to give to her work. So my mother passed away a few years ago and somebody asked me, what do you remember most about your mother? And you know, what popped into my head was not what I shared. What popped into my head was she used to yell a lot. And that's because my mother was so stressed all the time that she deprived herself of self-care and self-kindness. So let's segue that into finances, right? The same thing can, can happen. If you are denying yourself so much to give to your kids, are you threatening your own enjoyment in life that you work so very hard for? Are you threatening your own ability to retire someday because you are mortgaging your house to you know, give it, give your kids a, a down payment or put your kid through school. Of course, you love your child and you want to get them set straight and, and, you know, have, have a good life and not have huge debt. But, you know, here's what I want somebody to think about. And it's a little blunt. So I know I'm being awfully direct here. 
Ooh, bring but, it on. Yeah. So, you know, when when you when you think, okay, I'm going to mortgage my house for my kid to send them to school. So the first part is, okay, I love you, child. I'm going to mortgage my house to send you. And here's the part you don't say to yourself. And by the way, dear child, because I'm putting myself in so much debt, I'm not going to have retirement. And so you're going to be supporting me when I'm retired. Yes, I see that so much. I actually have a younger a couple friends and, and the wife is not as financially aware. And she said something, and I was thinking the same thing, Carrie. I was like, oh, their parents are helping them so much. I, you know, they're at the stage of retirement. I wonder yes. if they're doing okay. None of my business, but curious given the field that I'm in. Yep. And the um, young woman who is in her late 20s goes, oh, well, they love to do it and they have the money. And I thought she has no awareness Yep. of what the actual financial impact is on mom and dad and how ultimately that may be a problem for her and her husband if they don't have a good retirement. Yep, absolutely. And I know parents, are, are they're doing the best they can for their kids. But wow, if you're hurting yourself that much, there are consequences and, and they have to be thought through. And and the one thing I want to say is that I don't feel that it has to be all or nothing. Like you can still help your kids out, but maybe help them out and they match it or, yes. you know, or draw. I can remember one lesson early in my life was I had to borrow some money from my parents and uh, my dad drew up a contract and I thought this is crazy. He's like, we're going to draw up a contract. I'm going to charge you interest. And so we practiced paying a loan back to my parents. And so I think there's a real opportunities to set limits, do it in a kind, compassionate way and learn a lot as opposed to it being, well, I'm just a mean mom or dad because I'm not doing it. Oh, I totally agree. I think that's brilliant. I was talking with a client yesterday who said, you know, my dad puts in money into my savings account and I put money into my savings account. And so we are paying down together my mortgage faster. And she said, I don't know why he just doesn't pay it off. And I'm thinking, oh, I do. Because he's, <laughs> he's a smart dad. He's making you match it to, to take care of yourself, to earn the money, and to be committed. I thought, smart dad, way to go. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So on the show, we talk a lot about money myths and how certain beliefs about money can both serve us, meaning you know they can be a positive thing, at least in the short run, and, and other money myths certainly can get in the way. So... What do you think the money myths are that are coming into play with not setting financial limits with our kids? Love is money. Ooh, that's powerful. Say more about that. So, and and we all know logically that that's not true. We we all say to ourselves, love isn't money. Love is hugs, you know, love is cherishing cherishing your child, but but think about this when it comes to estate planning and parents think, oh my gosh, we have to leave the same amount to every child. Well, that's sort of saying if a child, one child receives more, then, then it looks like they're being loved more or, or you know, receives less, that they're not, they're not loved. But it's, it's not true. There's, there's not an equation like that. And yet we think that way all the time. Instead of thinking, don't think equal, think equitable, right? What is best for each child to help them get get a good leg up in the world and to flourish. And so you have to separate money and love. I try to get people to think teaching about money is love. 
because you're better preparing your child to handle themselves in the world. And, um, you know, taking them through that kind of discourse is harder, but know that when, when you do equate money as love, like you're feeling guilty, you work too hard. So you're buying your kids a gift or something. When you're giving money away, is it because you're decreasing your own guilt for some reason? Are you trying to take stress out of a situation because you're not willing to confront it? You know, those are the reasons behind uh, just giving money away or just gifting on a regular basis. So money is love is translates into our, into our behaviors every day in some way if we stop and think about it. I really like the new money mantra that teaching about money is love because it's such a, it's, first of all, it's true. And second of all, it really allows respect for the fact that you really care for the next generation. And I know today we are talking a lot about moms and uh, adult children. However, I want to just say that this applies to people who have nieces and nephews, people who maybe have uh, foster kids or have someone in their life that they mentor, that it can be anybody where you have that type of relationship. Although I do think it gets a little bit more complicated when it's a a mom-daughter duo uh, because of, you know, that can be just a complicated relationship in general. So I really love that new mantra. Now, one of the things that came up before we get into tips and tools to help people say no, which Mm -hmm. I think it's really important, what action can somebody take if they find themselves falling into this trap? I have to say that equitable and uh, fair with siblings do you have any sense of how you manage that? Because you have one sibling that maybe is uh, getting more financially versus the other, and maybe it's equitable, but how do you manage that civil rivalry? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it, I, I have a brief story. It, it's, it's something that you sort of subtly sometimes have to prepare your kids for long before the event happens. Right. Like, you know, having having your kids sit down and and listening to a will being read, for instance, and finding out one child gets gets more than another is not the way to do it. Yeah, you're gone, but it's it's not going to be helpful. So, you know, I have an example where um, a, a couple had three children and one child was disabled. He was able to function in everyday life, but was never going to be able to fully earn what the other two could in terms of capacity or ability. And so long before the parents were saying, you know, you you have to take care of Jimmy. And they never talked about the child's disability directly. What they did talk about was, you know, don't forget to help Jimmy, take care of Jimmy, you know, make sure you check on him sort of thing. So there, there was a growing and learned understanding that one child was going to need more assistance, um, you know, long-term. And so really it's, it's openly recognizing in subtle, gentle, compassionate ways that one adult child just may not be able to flourish in the same way. And also recognizing that yes, the others are working incredibly hard but they are also reaping benefits that will allow them to to enjoy life. And it's wow, it's 
it's not easy to do this. I mean, this would be, well, you know, this would be a, a longer conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. But what, what struck me is, and what you're saying, I think is so important, Carrie, is basically it's about being overt, about talking about it up front. It's not about doing it and not putting words to it. Yes. And so I think there is a way when families have broken money silence across generations, when they're able to really set the stage and talk about it in a meaningful way that the, there may still be civil rivalry. I mean, part of that isn't always bad, but that there's a way in which there's a conditioning and an understanding. And it's not just something that's like a slap in the face. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense because we've been talking about this as a family all along. Yes. So most importantly, for the people who are listening in that are parents or caregivers, when they want to say no to an adult child, and I often think, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking you're 20-something, so they're in between childhood and, and being fully independent, you know, how can listeners start to set those financial limits uh, and help themselves not only uh, boost their confidence, but uh, help their kids as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll take one example, but I'm, I'm happy to sort of elaborate on that. You know, when you have kids in your in your 20s, some may be living at home, but some may be trying to make it on their own for sure. And quite often it comes in the form of uh, an, an emergency, not a big emergency, but, oh, dad, you know, I my credit card is over the limit again can you please help me pay it off? Or, you know, we're talking about mom here. So same thing, right? And so the, the first question to avoid saying no is you want to ask, so how did this happen? How, how did we get to this point? And part of that, and, you know, this is not going to be an easy answer because your child has not learned how to think this way if, if you're still dealing with this, right? So was there a lack of planning? Did they assume that more money was coming in? Did they assume that they were going to get a, a better job by now? Did they make a bad decision and they got to a point where, you know, mom, I really need some money. So how did this happen? Helps them start reflecting on, okay, there there were milestones along the way that got you to this point. What were they? So that's the first question. The second one is, are there alternatives? So you're coming to me for X dollars. Do you really need that? Do you, if you need a car uh, because you have a job that's now way across town, got it. Is there an alternative like a secondhand car or are there alternatives to travel? And so getting them to think about you are not the easy answer you are not the ultimate answer, that you as a parent are encouraging them to think of alternatives is really, really important. And then the third question, which goes back to you and your dad sort of, you know, uh-huh. negotiating, which I just thought was was so brilliant because it's it's so true. So you pick your percentage, but say to your child, well, what if I can pay 25% of that? Can you, can, do you still want to proceed? And so, wow, okay, the, the child is going to have to figure out how to get the rest. And sometimes it's not a need, it's a want. The want actually disappears entirely, which is really interesting. Yes, you know, if you're easily rescued, it, 
I'm not even going to blame anybody. It just becomes this secondary gain, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I really love these questions because it really teaches not only the parent, but also the child to critically think about their finances. Because we all get in situations, no matter how good you are with money, I believe we all get in situations where we're like, oh, you know, you're somewhat in a bind. And so how did this happen really helps you look at that behavioral chain that you may be able to break going forward. And then the alternatives is shifting perspectives between, you know, mom is just the answer. And the percentages is really a way of saying, well, I'm going to help you, but I'm not going to rescue you. Yeah. I really like those. So so what happens if someone's employing some of these questions and working on this with their kid and they just have the urge to go back on their word? Like, you know, I've seen mothers just feel like, oh, I'm trying, but this is so hard for me. Uh, what do you suggest they do if it's still really a struggle to even implement these three questions? Mm. So uh, first of all, I would suggest that the first time you say no, don't make it a, a really critical, sensitive, emotional issue. Practice small. <laughs> so it's what I refer to as a taste test. Because sometimes what's interesting about it is, is that you have the urge to go back on your word because of what you think your child is going to do. But if you've always been saying yes, you don't know what your child is going to do. So you may be projecting onto Ooh. them, right? Mm -hmm. And so taste test was some, something small and see what they do. The child may say, oh, okay, I get it, and go away. The child may get upset, but then they may get over it and understand. So you you never know until you start testing with your child what's going to happen. So, so taste test, because part of this is your new learning, but part of this is also their new learning, right? There's something else that I want to encourage moms to do when you have the urge to sort of go back on it, stop and think, are you in this instant preparing your child properly for the world or are you trying to buy love yourself because you are feeling vulnerable or need affection or something like that? That's really important to stop and think about because if you're, you know, most moms put their child first. You don't want to be totally selfless, but if you're raising this child to be successful, you want to think about what's going on at that particular moment, right? And then the other thing I would say is, well, of course, there are people like you and I that they can talk to, but also having a buddy, having another parent who's good at saying no, so that you can bounce these things off of. And so you may have oopsed in the moment, Um Highly technical word, by the way. Um, and, but then, you know, find a friend, talk through it later and shore yourself up with someone who has a different view than you do, because, you know, bouncing your thoughts off of someone like that is also very helpful because, you know, we aren't around all the time. So having having a, a girlfriend a few doors down or something like that or, you know, quick on the text messaging is always helpful, too. Well, and I find that that is women's superpower often is having a couple of good girlfriends where you can say, oh, I really need a little bit of support and different people have different things to give. So I, I like the idea of finding kind of a, a buddy in this to support you because anytime we change a behavior, anytime we set a boundary or a limit, 
it is hard initially. And so just appreciating that you need some support with that. So Carrie, you have given such great tactical advice for people out there. And and I've really enjoyed the conversation about setting limits. I think as a joke, I might send this podcast to my dad and say, see, you should have said no more often. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I tell you, you were a really advanced child, I have to say, which explains why you do the work you do now, because you're just so on on top of your game. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, so Carrie, I, I want people to know where they can find out more about your work. And why don't you take a minute to tell them what you're up to these days and where they can find out more information. Thank you. Yes. So I just uh, purchased a second business, which is Stopping Over Shopping. So I also help compulsive shoppers and they dovetail a lot with, you know, professional women, which is which is who I focus on most. You can find me on Behavioral Sense. Dot com and that's C-E-N-T-S. I also post videos pretty well every Wednesday on LinkedIn with just little tips that are three minutes of, hey, try this. And uh, if you have anything urgent going on, you can get me at 914-923-6081 and I'm happy to chat. Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely check out those LinkedIn tips. That sounds awesome. And we'll put everything in the show notes. So make it easy for anybody who's listening in today. Carrie, as always, it's been great to break money silence with you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. When it comes to life's challenges, there are two types of people, those experiencing the change and the professionals advising them. Life Transitions by Dr. Amy walks beside both, helping financial professionals and individuals navigate more gracefully through any life change. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.